to 31 Days of Terror, Day 11. To kick things off this week, I need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. I would like to thank Alison Davis, Sylvia Ramirez, Chastity Tichinell, Heidi Slayman, Emily GC, Christine Taylor, Katie Mullen, Liam Kingshot, Michelle Egan, Shan Hughes, Rachel Felker, Lisa Westhoff, Robin Henderson, Carmen Burkett, Madeline Fowler, Morgan Young, Pesky Pixie, John Miller, Carrie Reynolds, and Donna. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Patreon. It is so appreciated and I am thankful for you every single day. And I have five spooky listener stories for you today. And story number one comes from Jake. The first story spans from my earliest memories as a three-year-old until I was probably around seven or eight. I'm an only child. And according to my mom, I was quick to pick up speaking and could carry out basic conversation by the time I was one and a half. Until this day, I've had a very active and creative imagination, which often results in some vivid, sometimes bizarre, or even horrific dreams. Starting at three, though, I began to have a recurring nightmare that would haunt me for years. Every time would be a little different, but they always followed a similar pattern as it would start out as me not even being aware I was asleep, let alone dreaming, doing anything from eating in the dining room or going for a walk with my mom or watching TV with my dad. But this normalcy would abruptly shift to a dead silence, followed by a terrifying awareness that something was watching me. I would instantly try and call my parents for comfort, but nothing would come out. I would scream and I would cry, but there was no noise until I saw it. This large, shadowy dog that looked like a Doberman, all black with somehow even blacker eyes that spoke to me, letting it know that it heard me and saw me and it was going to get me. No matter what I did, run, throw a tantrum, grab for my parents, inevitably the dog would get me and everyone would go on doing normal things unaware of me literally being shredded to pieces by this beast, and I would wake up drenched from sweat and sobbing uncontrollably. The dream steadily occurred over and over for years, and over time I would grow weary of bedtime, because somehow I knew when I was going to have the dream again, and that I would have to find some way, although with no success, of avoiding death in these dreams." Until one day, when I was probably seven or eight, the dream went a little differently. I woke up in my room, dreaming, and walked out to the hall that connected to my living room, and there it was. The dog laying on the couch, almost seeming bored, like it just wanted to get over with our routine, and hoped I wouldn't fuss. So not knowing what to do, I simply froze, as it climbed off the couch and slowly approached me with bared teeth. I suddenly felt something else from behind, and without turning back, I looked in shock as this towering figure with no face, all features obscured by this ragged jacket and large-brimmed top hat, stepped forward from behind me, and as the dog leaped to get me, it reached out, grabbing the dog with inhumanely large hands, 
and snapped its body in half as if it were a mere twig. It simply turned to me. I could still see no facial features of him, and it stepped back into the hallway and faded away. And I never had the dream again after that. My second story happened while my wife and I were still dating, and she will be the one recounting the first half of the story. One night, Jacob and I were working on a school essay at his apartment that I had to turn in by 11.59. He would help me as I get anxiety with large school assignments. Once we finished, we went upstairs. His apartment was a two-storey building, not very old as it was built in the late 80s. We decided to just relax on his couch in the living room before he drove me back to my house, as we were both exhausted from the work we had just put in to finishing up my college essay. But while sitting there I began to feel very disturbed, like some eerie unseen presence was watching us from upstairs. We were the only ones in the apartment that night, but it also felt like it was looking at us from behind his sliding screened glass doors that led out onto his patio. It didn't help that one of these screen doors had red spray paint splattered on it in the top left corner and the room was dimly lit, which only added to my uneasiness being in there. So obviously feeling unnerved by the situation, I told him, I feel like if I leave something bad will happen to you when you go up to your bedroom. My hair was standing on end and I felt chills going through my body, feeling a presence there with us that seemed to me like it was watching us. I started to recite El Padre Nuestro as much as my voice would allow me and as loudly as I could. It felt like somehow I was not being allowed to get the prayer out correctly, but I managed and told whatever was there with us to leave and that it wasn't welcome. Jacob is a skeptic and tends not to be easily scared, but my response to the situation led him to take me seriously that night and he was holding me the entire time I was praying and I told him to call a friend as his parents were out of state for business, because I definitely felt like if he were to stay alone in the apartment, something would hurt him. At this point in the story, it's told from Jacob's perspective. On the way over to Amy's house, I called up my friend Jose. We shared a tendency to stay up late, and sometimes met up for walks, and figured he would oblige me to come over for the night. So I dropped Amy off and promised to keep her updated if anything happened and then left to go pick up my friend. We made it back to the apartment, greeted by Oscar, my dachshund, who seemed to be unusually quiet. At this point I was a little bothered, but I decided it was best to play some video games to pass the time and keep my mind off what had happened earlier. Oscar was at the time of his life where he enjoyed expressing his dominance So to prevent him from doing that to any house guests, we'd gotten him this stuffed bullseye from Toy Story, a rocking horse, from a Goodwill thrift shop for him to hump when he got the urge. And funnily enough, whenever he did this, the horse would make a whinnying noise and play the Lone Ranger theme song. It was probably an hour or two into playing, and we got caught up talking about some nonsense. And from downstairs, we heard the Lone Ranger song coming from the rocking horse and I instinctively laughed, figuring that Oscar must be in a mood or something, and we just joked about it and continued to play. The song and the whinnying persisted for several minutes, and it became increasingly annoying, to the point where I decided to go and shush my dog. 
and when I went downstairs I see he is asleep, curled up in a ball on the couch. I didn't think much of it other than figuring that he tired himself out, so I went back upstairs. Another hour later we were still playing video games and we heard the horse going off again and it bothered me. We figured we might as well go get a drink so we both went downstairs. The horse is pretty much in the middle of the living room and Oscar was now awake, stretched out on the couch looking at us. We went and got our drinks and I told Oscar to chill out on the horse and as soon as we re-entered my room, the song started going off again. I knew for sure now that Oscar couldn't be doing this and I stepped out to the hallway and looked down and sure enough the horse was making noises with nothing even touching it. A little more disturbed at this point, I rushed down and picked up the horse looking for a switch to turn it off and ended up just ripping out the batteries and figured that it was all good to return to playing my games. Maybe 20 minutes or so later, we were forced to pause and listen as the damn horse is making its noises somehow with no batteries and now I was officially weirded out. In a slight panic I got up, followed closely by my friend I rushed out of the room and I heard the song and the whinnying begin to distort and deepen in tone and get louder, which put me in a mind state of just wanting to get this thing out of my house. As we were rushing down the stairs, I swear I saw it begin to rock swiftly as if an actual child were riding it and my damn dog was still just sitting on the couch as still as can be. So much for them reacting to paranormal stuff. In perhaps a rush of bravery, I quickly grabbed the horse. We took it outside and threw it in the neighbour's trash can and by the grace of God it was trash day, so that thing went far, far away. We sat in the room kind of awkwardly quiet, processing whatever just happened and we both affirmed that we had heard the same thing. But I just couldn't muster the courage to ask if he had seen it rocking on its own. Maybe I just wanted to hold on to some slim chance that there was a logical explanation. But all I know is if I really did see it move and it wasn't just a panic-driven trick of the eye, then something beyond practical understanding happened at my home that night and thankfully whatever it was never came back again. The final story that I'm going to tell you takes place about three or four years ago. My friend Court was having a real rough patch at the time and he was evicted from the room that he was renting but luckily had arranged a work position up in New York but he needed a place to stay for a week. I invited him to stay with me and even had a couple of other friends come and join in so we could have a good time and send him off with good vibes and a good mindset before heading out of state. One of the nights I was feeling we needed to do something a little adventurous and came up with the idea that the four of us would take a night hike along a horse trail called Cypress Creek that crosses through woods, streams, an abandoned citrus farm, and goes out into the next county. Half of the group wasn't too excited about the idea, but between my persistence and Court's willingness to see the night sky unobscured by the city's glow, we ended up going. The weather was perfect, the sky was clear, and we had a view of millions of stars. 
The songs of the nocturnal birds and the crickets, accompanied by the flash of fireflies zooming past, created a comforting atmosphere, despite it being so dark and remote. Probably four miles into the walk, we were about to reach our turning point to head back to the car, and amidst our conversation, I began to hear a distant grunt. But it was quiet enough, and indistinct enough, that I figure it's just the frogs, since we were in Florida after all. The sound became louder though, and I noticed while we were still moving forward, everyone had stopped talking, and the noise stopped too, and I decided to bring it up. Did any of you hear that weird noise? Court said that he was too freaked out to mention it, but he indeed heard some grunting nearby. As we started to talk again, we were interrupted by the sound of a large branch snapping, and we went silent. From the woods adjacent to where we were standing, something clearly heavy was trudging through the woods seemingly in our direction as the steps got increasingly louder, and the noise that I can only describe as a mixture of a grunt and a moan sent chills down all of our spines. I instructed the guys to back up a bit, and I shone a flashlight into the woods looking for eye reflection or any sign of the creature's presence but nothing. I warned them that the most likely thing I could think of it to be was perhaps a wild boar. But my gut was telling me differently. The moans continued, and it sounded so close to us now, I felt that if we didn't get moving, we were going to face what my core instincts were identifying as a predator. As unlikely as it is in that moment, I wondered if it could be a panther. They are extremely endangered, but it's not impossible considering we were in a large wetland area. But there was a presence to this thing that for some reason made me feel like it could be a person. And by the tone of its groans, it was as if it was saying it saw us and it was making itself out to be something big. So not taking any chances, we grabbed some large sticks, huddled up and slowly backed away and started walking, not too fast but also not too slow, for the long, dreadful journey back to the car. What worried me the most is that whatever this thing was, it followed us and continued to make those deep grunts, reminding us that it wasn't too far behind. And to be honest, in that moment, I felt like it was going to come down to a face-off. But after 20 minutes or so, the footsteps and the grunts slowly became distant and eventually we made it back to the car safely. I don't know what it was, and I've read up on wildlife in the area, and still have no real solid guesses. But my gut told me that if we weren't careful, if we made one wrong move, something terrible was on the verge of happening. And story number two comes from Aaron. I've had a fascination with all things creepy for as long as I can remember. I love horror movies. I recall participating in countless seances as a child and a teen. I've attended numerous ghost tours. I love a good cemetery. To put it simply, I live for this shit. Having said that, I'm usually a little disappointed at the conclusion of a ghost tour. Although a few creepy things have occurred from time to time, it's never as climactic as I would have liked and I leave feeling a little dejected. 
My sister shares my obsession with me. And she's the one who told me about your podcast. Thanks, Megan. So it was only fitting that for her 30th birthday, I purchased tickets to an overnight paranormal investigation and sleepover at the Aradale Asylum in Ararat, Victoria, Australia, about a three-hour drive from where I live. Aradale Asylum operated for over 120 years. At its peak, it housed close to 1,000 people. The building looks exactly as you'd expect an asylum that was built in the 19th century to look. It is a stunning piece of architecture that has been maintained well over the years. Walking up to its front entrance at 9pm to commence our tour, we felt a rush of nervous excitement. Upon arriving, we were told that the other parties, the tour company have to have a minimum number of participants to operate an overnight investigation, had all cancelled at the last minute. But since they'd paid in full, the tour would go ahead anyway. So it was just my sister, her husband and myself and one tour guide. This was to our advantage. We all got to use the equipment for much longer than we would have had with a larger group. He took us to areas not usually included on the tour and we really had the run of the place. We took photos on our phones as we went. One such photo was of me lying on the autopsy table in the morgue. I told you I live for this shit. As per all of my other ghost tour experiences, there were small things that happened that frightened us a little, but most of them could be explained. The tour concluded at around 4am, without any occurrence worthy of writing here. We all slept far more soundly than I expected we would. You better believe we pushed three single beds together and slept as close as physically possible to each other. We woke early in the morning and headed off to our respective homes. Upon reviewing our photos individually, we both came across a few creepy snaps. The one that got our attention more than any of the others was the photo of me lying on the autopsy table. It is very dark, but you can make out my silhouette on the table and can see the tour guide's hand. In the top left corner of the photo, where there is nothing but a blank wall that has been illuminated by a light, you can make out a face, and it appears to be looking down at me. We had a good freak out about this, then expressed relief that we didn't notice the photo while still at the asylum, and then moved on with our lives. Skip forward a year, almost to the day in fact, and I was away on a girls weekend with a friend of mine who shares this sick fascination of ours. We'd been to the pub for most of the night, and upon returning to our accommodation we sat up drinking beer and telling scary stories. I recounted the events of the Aradale evening, and of coming across the photos a day or two later. She asked to see the photo, so I scrolled back through thousands of photos. I have two children and a cat, there are a lot of photos. And I finally found it. She gave me shit about lying on the autopsy table, we had a laugh, finished our beers and then went to bed. Three days later, I was vacuuming my house. My phone was in my pocket and I took it out to call my husband. I stopped dead in my tracks and nearly cried as I unlocked my phone to find that my home screen photo had changed from a picture of my kids to that fucking photo. I have no idea how and to this day it scares the shit out of me. But there I was, lying on the autopsy table with that little face just visible underneath the Google search bar on my phone. 
as always when I talk about pictures in these episodes the pictures are posted on Patreon, Instagram and on Facebook. And story number three comes from Sai. This happened somewhere in the last quarter of 2017 during our college year. Two of my friends and I were on vacation to Chick Magalore in India and we were staying at a house that belonged to one of my friend's uncles. This house was a proper rural styled house located near a coffee estate outside the city. There were two more of our friends that joined us the next day. We decided to visit a nearby waterfall that was almost three kilometres into the woods. We reached there at around four in the evening and had a wonderful time. We left the falls to hike towards our car by 5.30 and that was when things started to get a bit unnatural. We could hear the leaves rustle behind us as we were hiking our way back to our car. We could feel a presence of some kind. We didn't give much thought about this and made it back to the car. We left from there and entered back into the city. We had our dinner and started back to our house in the coffee estate. We knew the route back to our house like the back of our hand. While driving back, we came across a bench at the side of a proper highway with trees around and no village close by. We stopped there to have a cigarette. From here things got a lot more creepier. We got back in and started driving again. A friend of mine who never stopped talking sat as quiet as the night. We came to the intersection, where we were supposed to make a left turn towards our house. It was only about a 15 minute drive from the intersection, but we'd been driving for more than an hour and we still didn't make it and to our surprise we ended up back at the intersection again. We decided to turn on our navigation and follow that. We were navigating on our phones from the back seats. Every time we had to make a turn, we could hear someone whispering what direction we had to take. We thought the person in the front seat was also using maps and was giving them directions. We followed the directions and made it to a random village, and that's where the phone died. We saw a middle-aged man walking the roads and the entire village seemed to be asleep. Being teenagers, we just stopped and asked him for directions without thinking twice and he just pointed us in the direction that we needed to go. We left and didn't look back. We tried using maps on another device only to find that the two different phones were showing two different routes back to our house. We decided to follow the iPhone We drove around for almost an hour, only to find ourselves in a semi-grown forest with some messed up roads. And that's where things went south real quick, and the car literally got stuck. We were driving a Ford fucking Echo, but we couldn't drive on that terrain, so we had to get out of the car and practically push it forward. We reached the house at around 1 in the morning, which ended up being a 5 hour drive which was supposed to take 15 to 20 minutes max. We reached the house and all of us were really uneasy. One of my friends said, let's just leave. And so we packed up and left at two in the morning. And story number four comes from Izzy and Paul. Throughout my life, I've had several paranormal experiences. But this is the only one where I can honestly say that I've actually seen a ghost. Rewind back to 2013 and my boyfriend who is now my husband and his dad decided to buy a 17th century Tudor pub in Hertfordshire. My husband decided to work there 
and they both agreed on a salary, which also included free board in the flat upstairs. He also agreed that I could live up there with him. I was at the university nearby at the time, so it fit in perfectly with my current situation. Nothing really strange happened for a little while while we were settling in. But around two to three weeks later, my mum and my stepdad came to stay for my 20th birthday. We were having a meal in the pub downstairs, in the side room to the right of the bar. We were sitting, eating, having dinner, the four of us, and my mum said to my husband and I that there were some people standing behind us. She didn't know who they were or what they looked like, but she could feel their presence there. It freaked me out a bit, but I had never actually encountered a ghost, so it didn't really bother me too much and I soon forgot about it. I often did bar work at the weekends in the pub, and I was chatting to one of the locals one night. We somehow got into the conversation that the pub was haunted, and there were often sightings of a young woman around 18 years of age sitting by the fire in the main bar. Again, I didn't take too much notice, but figured that this building must have some spiritual presence, but I was yet to experience anything. Fast forward to around a year later, and I was asleep in our bedroom in the flat upstairs. Our bedroom was directly above the side bar to the left of the main bar. It was Friday night and it was quite busy, but somehow I was asleep above all the noise. There was nobody in the flat except me, and my husband was doing a shift downstairs. At around 11 o'clock, I woke up. This was very unusual for me. As soon as I'm asleep, I'm asleep until morning. As I awoke, something in me gave me a reason to sit up. And as I did so, I saw a small girl of around four years of age standing at the bottom of my bed staring at me. She was wearing a white nightgown of some sort and had long, scraggly hair, as if it hadn't been brushed. She stared at me for a few seconds and then turned away and disappeared at the bedroom door. For some reason, I wasn't scared. Whether this was due to the comforting sound of the people downstairs in the bar or whether this girl just didn't give off a bad vibe. But anyway, this was when things really started to kick off. Maybe a month or two later, I was chatting to one of the bar ladies who had worked in the pub for over 30 years. She told me a story about how this pub used to be a monk house and they had a tunnel underground where they would send sex workers for the monks. As the story goes, one of the monks got one of the sex workers pregnant and she moved in and had her baby. Turns out, the lady of about 18 years who sits by the fire is this particular woman. She had a little girl who only survived until she was young and sadly died. There was no story as to how she died. And then it clicked in my head that the little girl I had seen could have been the one who died. Several months on and more things start happening. I would often lie there at night about to fall asleep and it would feel as if someone was sitting on my legs. It would be like the weight of a small child and then things got really freaky. Our bedroom was quite large and was big enough to have two double beds in it. Being the selfish people my husband and I are, we both had a double bed each. One night I was awoken by something to see my husband lying fast asleep in his bed facing the ceiling with what I can only describe as a thin man 
standing directly above him in a pounce-like position. He was completely naked, except for a sheet of some sort wrapped around his private parts. He was very thin, with longish dark hair and a long, thick beard. He looked exactly like what I thought a monk would look like. I was terrified. I lay frozen to the spot hidden under my duvet. I considered waking my husband, but decided it was best not to scare him, and I finally drifted off to sleep in the early hours. Nothing happened for a short while, and we decided to renovate the second bedroom in the flat. Because of our funny sleeping patterns working in a pub, we ended up sleeping in separate rooms for a while, with me sleeping in the main bedroom. One night I was awoken by a squeaking sound. It sounded like wheels turning. It was coming from the street outside, I thought maybe it was a cyclist coming home from work late. I looked out my window and nothing was there, and the squeaking sound stopped. I heard this several times over a short period. And then one night, I awoke again, to see an old man sitting in an old wooden wheelchair, placed between the two double beds. He didn't look at me. He just sat hunched over, staring out the window. I rubbed my eyes and he disappeared. The following week, I mentioned all of the events to my mum and my stepdad. My stepdad then came out with something strange. He remembered the first night that he stayed in the pub. The night my mum thought she could sense people standing behind my husband and I. He went on to say that later that night he was about to fall asleep and he felt someone breathing right next to his ear. Whatever it was then went on to stroke his face. My stepdad is not the kind of person to make this sort of thing up and I'm not even sure he believes it all. So for this to come from him was really weird. A few months later and we were almost ready to move into our own house and start new jobs. We were getting married the following month and I had just had my hen party in Spain. We got back in the early hours from a late flight to the pub. All my other friends drove home except my friend whose mum was picking her up in the morning so she was going to stay the night. It was around 2am and we were starving. We decided to get some food from the pub kitchen. My friend was leading and we came downstairs and she freaked out and said that there was a woman's reflection in the mirror. For reference, there is a large mirror with a gold frame directly opposite the side room to the main bar. The reflection is of the Inglenook fireplace. I looked in it and I also saw it. There, clear as anything, was the face of a lady hidden in the shadows. We were scared to death and we locked the door and ran upstairs. We never got our midnight snack. We moved out of the pub several weeks later and into an old cottage. I thought I would encounter similar experiences given the age, but we have since seen nothing. We often discussed my experiences among friends, and once mentioned it to one of my husband's best friends, who used to stay at the pub often after nights out. He said he never used to like staying in the pub, and always felt terrified to sleep, so would always have the lamp on, which he never does at home. Whatever presence was there, good or bad, it was a part of my life that I will never forget. But I always feel it isn't the last time I would experience paranormal presences. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I know I said there were five stories. Turns out there were only four. It's just the fourth one came from Izzy and Paul and I misread it. 
Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Jake, Aaron, Sai, Izzy and Paul for sending in your stories. Thank you so much to Bimmy who is currently sitting on my knee. Hang on, I'm going to see if I can get if I can pick up her purring. If you would like to send in your own spooky story, you can do so by sending it to Podcast at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, Podcast.com. And on that note, I shall see you tomorrow. 